Well, welcome everybody. We are very, very happy to have you visiting with us. We see some visitors in the audience that I'm excited to have here with us. And we hope uh, if you're visiting, we want you to know two things. One, we have coffee and some sort of carbohydrate-rich snack for you to share with us after this worship service back in our fellowship hall. And two, we don't normally have Noah's Ark in our foyer. VBS is this week. I'm so pumped. I love VBS. I've loved VBS since I was three. And I don't know, I still get a buzz every time VBS is about to happen. I, I, maybe it's the memory of Red Punch and cookies, but I just love VBS. I look forward to it. I fully intend to dress up and come out of the time machine at some point this next week. I can't wait. And I hope that if you've got uh, young children or relatives that are young children, you are signing them up and bringing them. We usually get good response from our local community, too, from this. So uh, please help us uh, put on a good VBS this year. You know, the, the pendulum swings a lot. Uh, in society, it swings in church life too. When I was a kid, I was taught what I now realize was a mixed message because my Bible teacher dutifully taught me, now look, the building is not the church. The people are the church, right? You were probably taught that too. And at the same time, I was taught you need to teach the, you need to treat this building with reverence. We're going to church. You need to get cleaned up. You can't go to church with soap behind your ears. You can't go to church with your hair not combed. And I knew both messages were really important and there would be consequences if I didn't pay attention to both messages. Coming to the building and the way I treated the building, and not running screaming down the aisles in the building, it turns out, were really important. The building itself was treated with reverence. Now, what my Bible class teacher taught me was the correct doctrine. The building is just a tool in service to the church. That is correct. But I like the fact that the church was viewed as so important that sort of like a reflected reverence bounced off into the building. You know what I mean? That's what I think was going on there. And, I, and the pendulum has swung uh, so that now uh, we, we want to get so far away from treating the building as some kind of a holy sanctuary or whatever that I also feel like we may not treat the church with reverence either. Look to the people. I had you do this a couple of weeks ago. I want you to do it again. I want you to look to the left and look to the right. This is going to be awkward because you're going to be looking at the back of people's heads. But look to the left, please, and look to the right. And go ahead, if you're sitting near the front, look to the people behind you. Yeah, it's okay, fine. God's word says 
that when we come together, we are God's temple now. There used to be a temple in one place on earth, on that little rise in Jerusalem called Mount Zion, the threshing floor of Aruna that David bought. But that temple is too limited. And God's plan was always to, to make his covenant a blessing to the whole world through the seed of Abraham to go out to the whole world. And you're that plan, church. This temple can be everywhere. This temple can be in every language. This, people, this temple can be in every nation. That's God's plan. And there's a second part to that plan, which is what I want to talk about today. And it, come to, it comes as a shock to us sometimes, I think. But it's really important. And Paul, in the passage we're going to focus on today, draws a really crucial ethical uh, lesson from this fact about who we are and what we are. This whole series just to remind you, is all the explicit promises we have in Scripture where God or Jesus says, when this happens, when you do this, I will be there. I will be with you when that happens. So I want you, if you have your Bibles, or if you've got one of the study sheets, you already see this, but if you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look down there starting around verse 12. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to start you off looking down at the concluding section, starting in verse 18. Paul says, if you're there, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The deep truth is when I become a Christian, God sanctifies my body, this, this flesh. Just like Jesus took on flesh, God sanctifies my flesh to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. Now earlier, back in chapter 3, he said, we... When we're together as the church, we're the temple, which is the main theology throughout the New Testament. But here he reminds us, each one of you, when you're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That makes you individually the temple too, not just when you come together as the church. But you're walking around when you're, you know, doing your job, when you're watching TV, whatever it is you're doing. You're still the temple. And the reason he's making that point 
is he's wanting to talk about a particularly important issue going on in the Corinthian church. Turns out it's still a crucial, important issue going on for us today. That has to do with how we're going to handle sexual sin, how we're going to deal with our sexual nature, and how we're going to be pure. It's a big deal. It was a big deal back then, and it's a big deal now. I remember thinking when I reached the age that these thoughts become clear, when I, when I reached the age of about 15, my body started changing. I thought I was probably the first human being to start to feel these thoughts and these feelings. I thought all people before me had never had any sexual feelings. That's what I thought. That I discovered this. It's brand new. It's like a big secret. I didn't really know what to do with it, but it was a big secret. And all the ages that had come before never had to deal with this. It was a shock to me to realize all human beings have always had to solve the problem of what to do with the fact that we have a sexual nature. Always. And there is a way to use this nature that God gave us as a good gift to have joy and glory in this life and in the next. And there is a way to use this nature that God gave us to create pain for ourselves and for others that will drag us down in this life and the next. And that's what Paul's talking about. The first century was a lot like our century, at least for men. They had sexual liberation for half of the population. Women were under strict, strict, strict guidelines. But men were expected to be loose. And these Corinthian men didn't like that Christianity said, now that you've come to Christ, you have to rein yourself in and exercise restraint in this area of your life. And as often happens, they had baptized their rebellion and come up with religious reasons for doing what they wanted to do. And Paul is quoting back, as you'll notice, some of their slogans. We'll see that in a little bit. Paul here says this to them as his closing argument. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid to buy you. His death purchased your body. Your body is steeped in sin. You were raised in sin. 
You're surrounded by sin. You could never for one second by your own effort be worthy to be the temple of God. But by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you were washed and purified and the Holy Spirit was allowed to enter your body to make you God's temple. You were paid for by the suffering of Jesus Christ. And from now on and forever, this body you've got, Corinthian men, it's not your body. This body belongs to Jesus Christ. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Let's back up just a little bit where Paul begins to get into this topic. You say food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, for the Lord uh, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Paul says, you have a creator. Don't act like you don't. God created all of me. Don't act like he didn't. God created all of me. Body, heart, mind, spirit. You think God created my spirit, but let Satan make my body? God made your body in all that it is, all of its desires, all of its passions, everything about it. God made your body. And when he saw the human body, you know what he said? That's very good. That's good work. God is happy with what you are because of what you are capable of with this body and with this mind and with this spirit and with this heart that he has created in you. God created all of me, body, heart, mind, and spirit, and all of me is designed to be full and joyful only by being with God. I've got one way to reach my full potential as a human being. And that is by reaching full togetherness with God. Every other path is going to just blow me up. When I was a kid... I, I watched all the science fiction shows there were, even the scary ones. Twilight Zone and Outer Limits used to scare me to death. I watched them anyway. Star Trek, I watched them all. Used to be able to quote them all. Used to be able to tell within the first five seconds which Star Trek episode I was watching. I've lost a little of that. I know Ryan Newell can still do it. I, I've lost some of it now, it turns out. What was the most feared weapon in most science fiction shows? They had ray guns, they had laser guns and phaser guns and stuff, but the most feared weapon of all 
the disintegration ready. Versions of the disintegrator shows up in Star Trek and Star Wars and, and Doctor Who. Yes, I'm that deep of a nerd. All the science fiction. Disintegration. Where you're just blown apart. Just taken to little bits. Disintegrated. And we live in a world that is doing everything it can. I don't think it's a planned policy except by Satan. I don't think humans are planning this. But our world is working to disintegrate us. If you're good at sports, the world says that's all you are. Work at that, be that, and achieve greatness with that. And once your knee is blown out, you're nothing anymore. Or once you hit 45, you're nothing anymore. We forget about you. We don't need you anymore. If you're gorgeous, beautiful, handsome, the world says, you're amazing. You're wonderful. Here's a part in a movie. Here's a spread in a, in a uh, fashion magazine until you age out of that. And then you're nothing. Zero. Worthless to the world. If you're smart, the world says, great, come and work for my company and make us money. And once you stop making money, maybe because the ideas stop coming or because you say that's ethically wrong, you're nothing. I want The world wants to take a little piece of you, pull it off, and say that's all of you. It's all that matters. God wants your mind, your heart, your soul, and your body. He wants it all. And the only place you can go for all of that to find fulfillment is God. The Corinthians were saying, well, God made my mouth, you know, it gets hungry. Surely he can't be mad if I go and eat. And they weren't talking about mouths. They were talking about their other urges. Surely can't, God can't get mad, you know. I have these urges. He can't be mad if I go and satisfy them. And God is happy that you have all the passions you have, including your sexual passion. He's, he's thrilled with that. He's the one who invented those passions. What what hurts God is when those passions hurt you and disintegrate you, tear you apart and tear you away from him and tear you away from love of others, which is the other thing he made you for. God said, I mean, anything that's good is meant to be done for the glory of God and can be done for the glory of God. If you're good at sports, 
then it's good to be good at sports. And you can do that for the glory of God. You can find joy and say, thank you, God, for making me so fast. <laughs> for making my brain so quick and my hands so skilled. Thank you, God. If you're good at math, which God did not make me good at math, but if you're good at math, thank you, God, for giving me that skill. As a form of worship, I dedicate my hard work and my skill in this area to you. I take joy from achieving in this area. And I give you praise for making that achievement possible. That's how you integrate. That's how you keep yourself as a whole person for your whole life in this life and in the next. Your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, all of it is meant for God. And the best part of you can go to God. And that's true for our sexual nature, of course. How do I use this in a way that's not damaging to somebody else? That's not exploiting another person? That's not tearing them down and making them hate themselves afterward? Or tearing me down and making me hate myself afterward? I knew from the 70s and before that Christians were working hard to fight against pornography. One of the things that surprised me is that in the 21st century, there is a rising tide of purely secular, totally unconcerned with religion, anti-pornography movement among men. Men who are users saying, I know this is hurting me. I know this is damaging me. I know this is taking away my capacity to have a relationship with an actual woman. I know that's what's happening to me. I was surprised. I didn't know that existed. I knew what Christians were trying to do. I didn't realize that was happening in the sexual, in the secular world. But it is. Now they're not doing it in glory, to the glory of God, but they're doing it in response to God's nature, to God's reality. And I'm glad. I hope they succeed. We need all the help we can get, Christians. Because I can use this enormously powerful gift of God in ways that make me feel horrible. And I can use it in ways that make other people feel terrible. And Paul says, God is your creator. God is going to call all of this back to himself in judgment. It's all coming back to God. And everything that's not integrated with God's will is facing destruction. It has to go because everything has to come back and fit into God. And so my life right now has to be judged by the righteousness of God. That's what Paul tells these Christians in Corinth, and that's what Paul speaks to us to say today. God created all of me, body, heart, mind, and spirit, and all of me is designed to be full and joyful 
only in being with God. Paul keeps going, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Those verses 15 through 17 have always been shocking to me. Paul teases out this one other piece of theology. He says, if at baptism you as a Christian receive the Spirit of God, then that means that that Spirit is God. It's Christ. It's the Spirit. There's not three gods. There's one. That is Christ living in you. If at baptism you were made part of the body of Christ, you are one of the appendages of Christ. If those things are true, then it's not like your mind goes off and does Jesus-y things while your body misbehaves. Or your spirit stays and, you know, prays while your body goes off and sins. Your soul stays in communion with Jesus while your body is off doing whatever it does on Saturday night. Jesus owns your body. He's connected to your body. And so whether you want him to be there or not, and whether he wants to be there or not, whatever you're doing with your body that God made for, that God owns, and that he has paid for with the blood of Jesus. Whatever you're doing with your body, Jesus is there with you. The whole time. All of it. And so what you do with your body needs to glorify God. It has to. And if you look at what you're doing, and you say... I know this doesn't glorify anybody. It doesn't even help me, really. Then that has to change. It has to change today. It has to change this second. For the love of Jesus, it has to change. That's what Paul says to those Corinthians. That's what Paul says to us. As a Christian, I am one with Christ, and what I do with my body, I do with a body that belongs to Christ. This is such an important message for us as a church. We are surrounded by propaganda. Some propaganda is top-down, where there's some actual ministry of propaganda, planning what 
you know, how to mess our minds up. Some propaganda is bottom up. The kind of propaganda we're surrounded with to mess our minds up about this topic is bottom up. I heard a phrase this week I'd never heard before. Limbic capitalism. Limbic capitalism. This is the kind of capitalism that makes money from getting you addicted to things. They plug into your limbic system, your addiction system, and, and, and extract cash from you. An example where capitalism has gotten me, Lay's potato chips. What was the old motto of Lay's potato chips? I bet you can't eat seven dozen. Oh, contraire, I can eat seven dozen, it turns out. Lay's potato chips, limbic capitalism, because is a potato chip food? It's not really. The nutritional content of a potato chip is not really food. There's no real nourishment in there. What it is is all the markers for your brain of, as if it were really good. It's got, it hits your fat marker, it hits your uh, salt marker, and, and so your brain goes, ooh, we're getting fed high-value food here. I better have another one of those. <laughs> right? Right now, I mean, everybody knows, sex sells. I put something that triggers our sex, sex drive. I can sell tractors. And it's been done. I mean, I don't think you can name a product where that hasn't been done, at least some. It sells. And the underlying message of all of that is this is, this is just an urge. It's just an itch, go scratch it. It's not going to hurt you. There's nothing that's going to harm you. There's nothing that's going to mar your life. There's nothing that's going to tear down your marriage. There's nothing that's going to hurt your children. There's nothing that's going to tear apart life after life after life after life. It's just fun. And it's a lie from Satan. And we all kind of know it. But we're so stinking used to it, we let it happen. I was shocked to read about four weeks ago of a series of articles in Elle magazine. I'm not sure what the demographic of Elle magazine is, but I think it's like 13 to 17-year-old girls. Maybe it's a little higher than that. And the reason why that demographic is shocking to me is that the articles were, how do you keep from developing feelings when you're having an intimate relationship with a boy? If you're having that relationship, it's, you don't want to have feelings. How do you keep from doing that? And they gave a series of pieces of practical advice to try and prevent that from happening. 
so that these 13 to 17-year-old women could be properly trained in how to participate in hookup culture. I've heard a lot in the news about grooming and politicians are going to politic, I know. But folks, that is grooming. And it's going on right under our noses. And we don't even care. We're so used to it. And church, and I'm as serious as I can be about this, this isn't about politics. This is about our identity as Christians. Fifty years from now, it's going to really matter that we teach people to treat our bodies as if they truly belong to Jesus Christ. It's going to really matter that that's what we've said and that we've stayed the course on that. I'm out of time. I have more to say about this, but I'm out of time. You don't know what you're asking. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm in prayer about this. I want you to be in prayer about this. But right now, I want us to do something. And it's important for everybody to participate in this, especially our, uh, you know, all ages. So to get that to happen, we're going to stand up in a second anyway, right? So everybody please stand up. We're getting close to the invitation song, so you might as well. Everybody stand up, please. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to say this after me in a minute. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. Are you ready? And it's really important that everybody here think about what these words mean. So I want you to hope, bear with me. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about these words and say this, these phrases after me. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I will honor God with my body. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I will honor God with my body. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I will honor God with my body. Let's pray. Dear God, please help us to keep that commitment. Help us to honor God with our bodies. God, help us to pull ourselves together under your headship, the headship of Jesus Christ. Help us to integrate ourselves into your goodness. Help us to glorify you in all aspects of our lives. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.